All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and I'm excited today to bring you Researching Private Supplementary Tutoring, Methodological Lessons from Diverse Cultures, and this is published by Springer and the Comparative Education Research Center at the University of Hong Kong. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and I'm excited today to bring you Researching Private Supplementary Tutoring, Methodological Lessons from Diverse Cultures, and this is published by Springer and the Comparative Education Research Center at the University of Hong Kong. And it's actually down in Hong Kong, and I got to talk with the co-editor of this volume live, Dr. Mark Bray. Uh, so have a listen. All right, Dr. Bray, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, I guess for all our audience, you've, you've been on before, as we've mentioned, uh, but maybe just give a little bit of background about yourself and uh, your your education and, and your research. Ah, well, uh, as you're aware, I'm director of the Comparative Education Research Center at the University of Hong Kong. I hold a UNESCO chair in comparative education. That itself is part of the worldwide network of UNESCO chairs, and it reflects work that I've done for UNESCO. I've been based in Hong Kong for 30 years, but I took time out uh, a few years ago to be in Paris for UNESCO, and one of the things I brought back was a UNESCO chair. Uh, what else would you like to know? Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I, I mean, as I mentioned, we're, we're here in Hong Kong live from, for this new books and education, so that's, that's really great. Um, well, let's get into the book then. Mm. Uh, I mean, your, I think, research for a long time has been on, on shadow education, for this book, uh, researching private supplementary tutoring, mm-hmm. can you maybe just describe how it came together? You have a lot of great authors, diverse authors from all around the world. What what brought you together for this volume? Well, let's begin with the vocabulary. You've just used the word shadow education. Right, I was going to ask about the, that. So let's. But in the book right. title, we use private supplementary tutoring. They can be synonyms for this purpose, but the vocabulary of shadow education is uh, used increasingly for this. Supplementary tutoring, which is parallel to Mm. schooling. And uh, why shadow? Well, because the curriculum in the tutoring largely mimics that in schools. So as the curriculum in the school changes, so the supplementary classes change. This is a research methods book. I myself have been looking at the theme of shadow education, private tutoring for 15-something years. And I feel that it's a topic of growing importance. Now, here Mm. in East Asia, we know a lot about it. Perhaps the world champion is the Republic of Korea, uh, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, increasingly in mainland China. There's a huge amount of shadow education, private tutoring, something like three-quarters of our Hong Kong grade 12 students get supplementary classes. So if you're in the one quarter, you feel a bit uh, in a minority. and Either you're intimidated by being in a minority or you're a super self-confident person. But it's become a global phenomenon and for different reasons. We've got a big research agenda. and We think it's a really important one. Now, this is a book on methods for researching it. It's an elusive topic. It's not so easy to research. So we felt it deserved the whole book. Yeah, I mean, you, you preempted one of my questions about sort of the definition, and right. maybe because I let it slip at the beginning. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I am curious about that because when we, yes. you know, when, when we're thinking about this, people can be, and, and I think this is a good book to, to think about this because we're looking at it from these different perspectives. Yes. And and I'm not sure if it was meant to be this way, but when I, when I hear 
shadow education. Yes. Although it's just shadowing uh, the, the system that's happening, but it it's also could be uh, almost like this negative connotation of, of hiding in the shadows. Yes. Um, whereas maybe supplemental education, it sounds a little bit softer or something along those lines. One can be hiding in the shadows and the shadow economy uh, right, uh, right. and other somewhat negative uh, words. But as I pointed out in one of my books, shadows can be useful. You can have the shadow of the sundial and it will tell you what time it is. You can have the shade in a hot day under a right. tree. So whether it's negative or not negative depends on the ears of the hearer. Right. Now, different countries use different vocabularies. In France, they often talk about parallel education. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe that's a bit more neutral. We spend a lot of time and we have a shadow education group at the University of Hong Kong and from time to time we say, is this a good metaphor, is it a bad metaphor? Uh, Some of the curriculum does mimic, other parts of the curriculum supplement, they go beyond, it's enrichment. And so that's part of the research agenda uh, to unpack what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you already mentioned like some of the locations where this is sort of popular, but what I found interesting is when you're introducing this concept, mm. uh, it, it actually goes back to, at least to the early 20th century, at least how you're defining yes. it. Um, so can you kind of talk about how you sort of think about looking back at the historical context of, yes. of this kind of uh, study? Well, if we're talking about supplementary tutoring as opposed to just tutoring, so if we think of the history of schooling, schooling commonly mm. emerged from private tutors and the aristocracy right. in Europe right. in the 18th century. Uh, commonly, the children were tutored uh, on a one-to-one or small group basis before the rise of schooling and mass schooling. We're not interested so much in that phenomenon. We're looking at the supplementation of children who are in school and then are getting extra classes. Mm -hmm. That worldwide has become a massive phenomenon in the present century. But in some cultures, yes, you can trace it back to Mm -hmm. the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, In Greece, Greece is one of the hot spots. Uh, So if we think of Japan, Korea... Uh, Hong Kong as the Asian hotspots. I would say Greece yeah. is the European champion. Mm. Uh, perhaps Egypt is the Arab states champion. Mm. There are different cultures where this is a strong phenomenon. One can trace it back, but it's inevitably small until the recent two to three decades. It's in these decades that it's boomed. I see. Okay, very good. And and you are again. We, we've talked about these East mm. Asian countries. And especially Korea. I used to live in Korea, so I, I mm. in fact, worked at a, what they call Hagwon. Like yes, right. They know all about it. Uh, yeah, and, um, you know, so it would make sense that a lot of research comes out of there. But, of course, when you're looking in that environment, taking that lens and moving it somewhere else, yes. it might not work. So can you t- kind of talk about maybe how or why it's important to, to not just take the research from Korea and, and put it in other places or, or how you sort of um, work that out? Um, If we are talking about supplementary tutoring, and one of the ways to carve the agenda is by provider. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as you've mentioned, in the Republic of Korea, the Hagwon are Mm -hmm. companies, uh, sometimes very big companies with branches, and so it's company-provided tutoring. Elsewhere, also in the Republic of Korea, but... um, Worldwide, we have lots of university students who are mm. providing tutoring on a pocket money earning basis, right. uh, uh, pretty informal. Um, 
And in some countries, it's teachers, teachers themselves uh, providing tutoring to other kids in other classes of their school, to other schools, or even to their own students mm. that they teach in the government school, right. and then after hours teach in uh, private lessons. So one can divide it up by provider and different emphases in different cultures and with different policy implications. Right. Uh, I, I'm also curious about how you sort of grouped these different countries mm. together. Uh, one of the thing, one of the ones that jumped out to me is, uh, I think, listed on, in this chart. You have uh, was United States, Canada, and then Australia as sort of this place where uh, this kind of supplemental uh, uh, teaching or, yes. or, or system isn't hasn't really flourished. Whereas you know you looked at sort of um, the Caribbean and, and other areas in Africa, you sort of group them together. So yes. can you can you time talk about some of those groupings or, or something? We can talk about it in terms of what's driving the supplemental mm -hmm. education. And uh, most obvious drivers are uh, to some extent cultural. People talk about Confucian cultures, but uh, also driven by examination dominance, so where there are high-stakes examinations which can be served through tutoring. Uh, China, with its national mm -hmm. Gaokao uh, university entrance right. examinations, is very strong. Um, globally, why has this grown in the last 20 years across the world. Right. I think it's in part globalization, sure. it's competition, it's also a function of the success of the education for all movement. Mm. And so uh, whilst UNESCO and other international organizations may be saying schooling for all, education for right. all is good for equity. Mm -hmm. On the whole, households are not interested mm. in being equalized. Households want to compete. Households want to get ahead of their neighbors. Right. And so as school systems become more equitable, the private sector helps to make them less equitable again. Right. Oh, and that's, that's something which is uh, driving the growth of it in Europe, in places. Now, you can tell from my accent that although I've been in Hong Kong for 30 years, and I'm actually born in the United Kingdom, uh, when I went to school, nobody had any of this yeah. tutoring. Sure, uh, sure. Or if they did, they hid it because it implied that they were stupid. Um, now you can go to London in particular, where 50% of school kids... Uh, have received tutoring at some point in their careers. Right. Nationwide, throughout the whole of England or the uh, United Kingdom, it's something like 25%. But in London, right. 50%. Uh, wow, what's happened? Uh, yeah. What's happened is competition, globalization, uh, migrants coming from elsewhere in Europe, mm, yeah. the internet, uh, turning back to Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong's always been a bit competitive, but we are very sensitive to the number of people... Uh, just across our northern border, meaning the People's <laughs> Republic of China, right, who will right. take our jobs instantly. Yeah. So life is much more competitive than it was. Right. And then I think even in places like Canada, the United States, Australia, which are, in quotation marks, relatively relaxed, yeah. parents are increasingly anxious. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I am from Oklahoma, and maybe it hasn't permeated there as much, uh, but I, I live in New York, or I'm based in New York, and it, they're all over New York, uh, and you can imagine the environment in New York. New York City is very competitive, especially 
you have these students taking tests to go to these yes. amazing high schools. Yes. And I can guarantee you every kid that gets yes. into these high schools to yes. test into has some sort of tutoring on the side. And then you can subdivide it by racial and ethnic yes, groups to some exactly, extent. Exactly, yes. Um, what uh, we see, again, insofar as there are Asians going to the United States or Canada, right. Koreans yep. bring their culture with them, Absolutely. the Hong Kong, Taiwanese students bring their culture right. with them, and then the existing population find they're not winning the prizes anymore, yes. and uh, everything scales up. Right, absolutely, sort of maybe an arms race, if you, if yes. you want to think about it yes. in that, that regard. Uh, you mentioned earlier sort of the idea of, of globalization, and you even mentioned OECD, and so you talk a little bit about in the book uh, sort of PISA and TIMS have mm. even start they're trying to measure this as well. So can you kind of talk about what, how they're yes. measuring or thinking about it? Uh, it's very hard to measure internationally. Now, TIMS started with a question which frankly wasn't a very good question and it was there in 1995 and in the 1999 iteration uh, and the data from that question, because it's quite hard to ask internationally a question which is sufficiently locally grounded to click with the respondents. Yeah. So it was a poor question. The disappointing part is that instead of taking a poor question and making it better, they dropped the question. Uh, so that's disappointing. Yeah. PISA... Uh, has has some, the same uh, challenge of poor questions and shaky data, and particularly I have uh, looked closely at this and have written about it. Uh, the translations are often mm. not very good. Right now, for both Tim's and Pisa, the initial question was to get the people. Uh, OECD is headquartered in Paris. It's dominated by Europeans mm. and other. Uh, economies that hadn't been looking at this closely, now, again specifically, the, uh, one of my former UNESCO colleagues was Vice Minister for Education in Korea, he went to OECD and said, look, we've got all of this stuff happening, can we please put it into these surveys? Yeah. The answer was, well, thank you, Vice Minister, but really that's your problem over there, now let us talk about <laughs> all the things that we in France are Our interested worry, in. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is that a few decades later, uh, they recognize this stuff. Right. But they're finding it very hard to get the questions which are cross-nationally right. comparable. Right. So that's part of what this book is also about, the methodological issues of researching this cross-nationally. Yeah, absolutely. We're, I think we're more and more used to having at least one big data source where we can say, oh, we can get all these scores, we can get all these rankings and, and yes. pull them out and, and yes. look at them. And it's very hard to capture that. And in this book... Is especially, it sounds like this is exactly what you're trying to do, is that you show these different ways. Um, so maybe let's get into some of those ways that we're looking at this. From one of your uh, contributors had this massive data source, which I was very jealous of, of all these students, like thousands of students who answered the survey, to just you know, a very small uh, data set. So can we talk about, maybe let's start with the, the one I mentioned first, the, the big, large data set and how, and how we're looking at things that way. That itself reflects commonalities across the field of comparative education. Sure, yeah, the number crunchers who love their numbers yes. and believe the numbers and just sort of accept the numbers yeah. and then bang them into a computer and draw lovely <laughs> graphs. And other people saying, hang on, wait a minute, where did this number come from in right. the first place? Right. And 
what's behind the numbers and what can we do. So I think in the sense that this book is looking at research traditions, paradigms, it's called comparing, it's, uh, the subtitle is Methodological Lessons from Diverse Cultures. Mm-hmm. Now, we were using the word culture in a methodological sense as well as a broader cultural sense. So, mm-hmm. yes, the number crunchers have their uh, culture of number crunching, oh, and the qualitative people have their cultures of doing qualitative right. research. So th- th- there's that element. But otherwise, we're looking at cultures uh, across the globe and Confucian cultures and Western European mm. cultures and so on, and how that impacts on things. So in some ways, the book is similar to other research methods book. Sure. Here are the merits of uh, quantitative, here are the merits of qualitative, ethnographic, and so on. Here are the merits of mixed mm-hmm. approaches. What's distinctive about the book is, okay, this is taking the tools and looking at a particular phenomenon, mm-hmm. and in what ways is private supplementary tutoring similar to or different from researching schooling? Right. And we would argue, we do argue in the book, Uh, that in some ways it's more difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go to a school, you basically know who's enrolled, uh, you know what the hours of schooling are, uh, it's standardized, uh, and so on. If you're looking at supplementary tutoring, it's harder to compare a child, somebody who has one hour a week, somebody who has Mm -hmm. ten hours a week uh, in so many subjects. One might be math, one might be... Piano or something like that, and uh, and one may be individual, one to one. Others are in huge groups, uh, yeah. the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So the phenomenon is more diverse and more mm. difficult to classify. And then the question is, who actually wants to give you the data? Yes. Uh, so uh, the. Teachers, the tutors themselves, may or may not want to tell you. Uh, it depends how the public is looking at that. Some, right. some tutors are a bit shy of the attention. Parents, do they want to tell you? Well, it depends on uh, what they think yeah. that you're looking at and whether you think that their child is stupid or not uh, or is excessively overachieving. The students. Actually, we have found that the students themselves are the best source. You go to the students and they will tell you. But sometimes they are also shy to talk in front of their peers about what might seem to give them an extra edge. Right. Yeah, and I I noticed you mentioned along those lines, uh, like it depends on the context of like what you're, how you even define or thinking about this in the country. I think think you said that Georgia, the country of Georgia, uh, it's almost seen as like a corrupt yes. sort of practice. Yes. So you, yes. they, they would, didn't want to you know, mention this. Or, or That's right. About. Yeah. Now, part of what this book is about also, you will find uh, there's one chapter towards the end about how a research instrument changed in different contexts. Mm. So part of the genesis of this book is work we were doing in Hong Kong, which uh, was pretty cutting-edge work. Mm. And we had questionnaires and interview guides mm. Um, several of the people use, who have contributed to this book have tried to use our questionnaire in other settings. Uh, and so there is one chapter, it's chapter 12, about how a research instrument changed in different right. contexts or should have changed but didn't change. Right. So there are pitfalls in methodology here mm. about uh, in what, how good are our instruments 
at what points do we recognize that our instruments have weaknesses, right. how should we have made them better, and so okay. on, which, of course, is, is generalizable, but uh, here's a case study right. of how we should be making our toolbox better. Right, well, I think any researcher, any academic, but then also any student who's doing anything in, in especially university study, I think, or policymaker potentially, um, is thinking about these kinds of things in that regard. Uh, so have you found that uh, when you put this out into the world, uh, people have contacted you and said, oh, I used this way, or, or have contacted you, or what, what's, uh, what's the mood? The research on this whole theme, private supplementary tutoring, is lagging behind reality. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, another criticism I have of us as researchers. This right. has been around for a long time. Right, Why right. haven't we got a lot better data? There's I so see. much data on schooling and uh, charter schools right, and right. this, 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 whatever. Um, so the, as researchers, we are lagging behind and only beginning to catch up. But certainly this book is taking more deeply the, the research on the phenomenon. Initially it was, well, let's just count these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's find the wow, uh, 75% of them are going to tutoring. Right. But the agenda, I would argue that the agenda is as big as the agenda for schooling. So right. one needs to look at the economics of schooling, and the sociology of schooling, the yeah. pedagogy of schooling, right. the curriculum, and all of these things. Right. So this is uh, the next step in the iteration, and uh, I am hoping and trusting and seeing that the research agenda is growing substantially. Okay. And each of the contributors to the book, from Iran, from Maldives, from Malaysia, from Jamaica, Mm. uh, from Georgia, uh, is spearheading work in her or his own way. Right. And I think contributing to a really important topic. Right. which is not just an East Asian one. So that's where there is now recognition that this is a global phenomenon and it really needs a lot more attention. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people would definitely, even if you're not simply thinking about uh, supplemental education, uh, you're going to find a lot of reason to, to look into this because it, it, it does provide a, a nice methodological tool. Well, I'm encouraged that you've found that. <laughs> Thank uh, you for finding that. Th- and th- just thinking about, I guess, the, the, the methods. Um, I guess maybe a final, final word on the book and uh, what are you working on next? Uh, you kind of already got into it a little bit, but uh, uh, maybe more, more specifically, what can we look forward to? I think last time we talked to you, you might have been talking about putting this book together. So uh-huh. that's kind of interesting. Right. <laughs> well, on this particular theme, I have the pleasure of working with a whole team of researchers. Uh, we're looking at things like uh, public-private partnerships, uh, which is always a positively mm. phrased uh, terminology, but actually can be a bit subversive. Sure. Uh, we're looking at uh, the blurring of boundaries between uh, public schools and private mm. actors, how they complement each other. Uh, one of my colleagues is actually changing the metaphor a bit from boundaries to confluence. So confluence okay. of uh, rivers, yeah. or in fact, even you can have pollutants. Some people view the supplemental education not as an asset, but as a pollutant. Right. Well, whether it is or it isn't, you, in the, the field of hydraulics, there are ways to angle the flow, and so we're using that as a more dynamic metaphor. 
of looking at the interactions between the public mm. space and the private space to see who's being served by it and yeah. who's disadvantaged by it and yeah. how does it work. Well, that I mean, that's such a, a great and growing field right now. Uh, I mean, I'm from the United States, and it's just a constant uh, – I think we're constantly talking about how the the private sector and the public sector can – can make things better, whether it's the government or schools. So yes. uh, I think that's only going to keep becoming more and more popular. So um, anything else that, that on the, on the book? Thank you for yeah. picking up the book, and uh, thank you for letting other people know about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just to all the audience out there, research private supplementary tutoring, uh, methodological lessons from diverse cultures, and, and thank you to Dr. Mark Bray for joining us today. And to everyone out there, I hope you learned something.